<laughs> hey, Jimbo, you ready for this deal? Live action. <laughs> Old stories like long lost friends Rodeos and late night bends History before our time Round pens and pasture rides Cowboys of the Osage Howdy, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Cowboys of the Osage podcast, brought to you by the Ben Johnson Cowboy Museum and the Buck and Flamingo Turquoise Shop, both located right here in historic downtown Pahuska, Oklahoma. Hey, it's old Cody over here, and as always, I have my main man with me, Mr. Rodeo Historian himself. He's been making all kinds of contributions to books, writing forwards for people, making sure it's historically accurate, writing songs. He's just been doing it all. Need to do something. Jimbo Sniley. Good morning, Jimbo. Good to see you. What the heck do we got going on today? Good morning, Cody boy. It's a great day in Osage, man. And uh, what about that Buck and Flamingo? That's the place, isn't it? It's a great place. If you need it, if you're in the doghouse, come over there. We'll get you out of the doghouse. If you need a birthday, Christmas, anniversary, or just because present, come see us. We got the largest selection of turquoise in the state of Oklahoma now. Great place. Cody, uh, We've got Neil Whirl with us today, and Neil's a five times steer open finalist. He won the average in 1990. He's won Pendleton, all kinds of, all over the country. Placed or won it, about all of them. And he's the son of Sonny Whirl, who's a seven times NFR cab roper, nine times NFR steer roper. One of the best. One of the best. And he's the grandson of the great Everett Shaw a six-times world champion, just an iconic figure in the world of rodeo. Great nephew to uh, Dick Truitt, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, they're just cowboys all over. His <laughs> That's pedigree. a long list right there. Right, right. Holy moly. Right. But uh, anyway, he's going to have a lot of stories to share with us today, and we're going to talk about his grandpa. I know a lot, and his dad, and, and what he did all over the country. So, Neil, work, welcome to the Cowboys of the Old Sage podcast. I'm glad to be here. Well, we're glad to have you. Neil, for those that don't know, where'd you grow up at? Grew up in Altoona, Kansas. It's been dead, you know, I was born in Ada, Oklahoma. And mom and dad had a place in Fredonia for when I was till about I was two. Moved out there to Altoona then and lived there ever since. When I was a kid, they always introduced your dad, Sunny World, Altoona, Kansas. Where is Altoona at for yeah, everybody that don't, don't never even heard of it? it I don't even a, know if it's on a map. It, Highway 75 and 47 Junction would be the quickest way to say it, but it's approximately 45 miles or 48 miles from north of Coffinville, 45 miles north of Independence, Kansas. Okay. 100 by, uh, approximately 95 miles from east of Wichita, Kansas. Real close to Fredonia, <laughs> if anybody knows where Fredonia yeah. is. You want to hear a little uh, crazy fact about Fredonia, Jimbo? Yep. Yeah. I was born in Fredonia, Kansas. 
boy. Do they have a sign out? Not yet. <laughs> well, not yet. They will have. <laughs> <laughs> well, did you travel with your dad a lot when he was rodeoing, I guess? Uh, not a lot. I went a few times. But uh, where all did you go with him? Most of it I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> I was little enough that I don't remember all of them. I remember the horse, the one horse we took was a calf horse he called Ben. And uh, I made one trip with him, and we was over there around Camden, in Missouri, and was driving down the road, and the guy had a convertible. They rolled the convertible down, and Dad said, get up here and wave at the girls. And I said, uh-uh, uh-uh. <laughs> I was scared to death at the time. You know, a lot of people don't remember you, but your dad was a really good cab roper, you know. He, was, he made five of the first six NFRs in the calf roping. Yeah. And a lot of people don't know he come real close one year of winning the world. Year, one year right behind Dean Oliver. Yep. And, uh, and one year he was tying kit. Every time he tied a kid, his hand was bleeding. He had two broken fingers, one on each hand, and blisters and everything else. And back then, he, uh, that was the way he made a living. And, right. and he didn't know no different. And just yeah. grit the pain and go on. He bulldogged too some, didn't he? Uh, Tommy Combs used to, or Benny Combs used to say, uh, come up and ask mom. And she said, is, he asked her, is Sonny in the bulldog? And he said, no. He said, well, sorry to hear that, but that's great for us. She said, why is that? He said, gives us a better chance to win some money. (laughs) And he kept track of dad one year, the year before the finals. Before they had the first NFR, that would have made the NFR in the in the bulldog. In '58, the year before. The year before. What all NFRs did he compete at? Where where were they? I assume one was in Dallas and probably one was in Los Angeles. Where? Yeah, I don't remember all of them. Is Los that where they all were? In yeah, those Dallas, years, Jimbo. And then Los Angeles, and then in '65 they went to Oklahoma City. Okay. So he, he would have competed in all three of those. Well, I know the kids. Back then, it was a lot bigger than they are now. Did he leg a lot of calves or flank most of them, or do you remember? He legged a lot of calves. He tried, he flanked a lot of calves, but he was a lot faster legging calves than he was flanking calves. Right. And there's a lot of, uh, one match rope and one Easter, he legged nine out of the ten, and he was winning the match until he tried to flank one calf. He lost the match because he flanked, tried to flank one calf. Wow. He was a big old boy, too, wasn't he? No. No? He wasn't a very big, about your size then. He bulldogged steers. A lot of the bulldogging steers, he crawl, would crawl off weighing seven, eight, maybe 900 pounds. He might not even touch the ground. Um, he would just, he weighed five, nine, he stood 5'10", five, 5'11", five, 170 pounds. Just an average guy. Just an average guy. But he was so fundamentally sound that he just worked the heads, bring them around, slip a full Nelson, push off the fence, 
they'd fall down. And that's how he'd win something. First bulldog in here. When your dad was started, Grandpa, Grandpa roped a little bit, but Grandpa was more of a Grandpa World, Carl World, was more of a kind of a mule skinner, horse trader. And uh, he seen, he's and started cattle, bought cattle for Swift and Henry. He seen Shote and he said, I got this boy that thinks he wants the rodeo. Shote said, Well, I guess send him down. We'll see how much he wants the rodeo. So dad went down there. They would get up at five o'clock in the morning, go feed the horses, milk the cows, come back in, eat breakfast, usually a bowl of oatmeal, go back. Head and tail them three and four year old colts. They'd have them all saddled and take off and send them around the section for about three or four hours. And then they'd go to roping on them. They'd bring the cows in, sort the kids off the cows, and that's what they roped off them three and four year old colts. So dad learned how to ride a, ho- a colt in there close enough, rope the calf, get his slack in there. And set that calf and that horse in the ground, and be there before that calf got up off the ground. He, that's where he learned how to get there quickly. And, and then showed had six old bulldog and steers. Dad said, if you didn't do it right, they walked all over you. <laughs> <laughs> Any of them old roping steers, especially them old biggins, they get pretty wise. Well, showed kept these little things down around for three or four years. Yeah. And they was big. <laughs> <laughs> Your dad went to OSU on a rodeo scholarship, didn't he? Or he was on the rodeo team? He was on the rodeo team, and he didn't have a scholarship. Dad originally walked, went down there and walked on the football team as a walk-on. Okay. And, uh, and they kind of made fun of him, so he left. But originally, Dad went down there and tried to play football. Yeah. Well, I didn't know that. You know, well, uh C.R. Boucher's grandson, he was a walk-on basketball player, OSU. Played, I think, the whole time. I'll be honest. At least two or three seasons. Yeah. Yeah. Is that where he met your mom at Stillwater? No, he actually met mom at Cheyenne. And dad was up there with another gentleman. And mom was fixing to go. It rained at Cheyenne. Guy said, and I can't remember his name, and for, and I can see his face and everything right now. But he told Daddy, he said, "You gonna let that young lady walk across there? You ought to pick her up and carry her across there." And it happened to be Mom. <laughs> Who was your mom's dad? Everett Shaw, the great Everett Shaw. What was it like growing up to be the grandson of Everett Shaw? Papo was, I call him Papo. We went and roped. He wanted to just set things up when we roped. He didn't care about roping quick. He didn't want you to miss. He wanted you to be able to run 100 steers and rope 100 steers. He didn't care if it was, whether it was two swings out of the box or all the way to the back end of a 400-foot pin. Didn't want you to miss. 
So it's it's one of them deals seeking perfection. And mastered how to tie the string of steer, the tie steer. He worked at it. And all the work you can put in it, you would reap benefits later. To be a champion, you had to work at it. He had a rope and dummy out front there, had a calf head on one side, steer head on the other end. And I remember going out there with him and roping the thing for a hundred times. He wouldn't miss. And I was about six or seven trying to rope. Yeah, I'd missed quite a bit at the time. But I, he just said, rope it a hundred times. You miss it? He said, I don't care if it's 99. You miss it? You start all over again. And this... And... Patient man, didn't work, you know, a lot of things didn't seem real fast, but he was steady. Everything had, a, had, his, own, had his own speed. Everything was smooth and steady, accomplished a lot of things. And I remember one trip, Randy Moore, I flew up there and, and got Papal to so I'd go with him to look at some horses. And Papa was, was there looking at these horses at this ranch. He was talking to this guy's trainer about bits. And I asked Papa later on, I said, Papa, I said, you know all this? He said, yeah, I do. But he said, that one bit there, the way that guy uses that one bit might make that one horse in my barn, a winner. He said, always listen. Might be one little thing to make one horse a winner. He was a master horse trainer. What did you learn from him about your horses and stuff? Patience. You had, you found, you know, you, you, I would look a lot of the ho- young horses or outlaws that I'd buy, I find a hole. Okay, most horses have got a weak spot somewhere. Okay, find that hole. Once I found that hole, all right, now, what are, where's that hole at? Now, what can I cowboy around and make that horse look like he don't have a hole? Make him a better horse. How can I help him be to be a better horse? And use his speed to make him stronger. And and always have a good woe in the drags. And that let me tie lots of cattle that way. That little extra speed in the drag. How'd you get your horses uh, listening to you, Neil? A lot of time, a lot of patience. For when you say woe, they stop. I'd be riding the pasture. I'd say, whoa. Or I'd be coming to the gate, say, whoa. i make them stop and stand there. Some guys will stop and stand there a little bit, and they'll arrive straight forward. No. I'd stop and stand there. Might be five minutes, might be five seconds. 
then I turn them around. Turn them 90 degrees or 180 or 360 degrees. Go a different direction from where I was headed. Might go 10 feet and then go back the same way I was headed. And then... Along with woe, did you use a lot of voice commands like a smooch to make them go or... I always, I, I was always hustling the horses. That's something Dad had me done. That's something Shote had Dad done. When it's, Dad was riding them colts, rode every colt the same. How you was making them colts hunt a certain spot, shall we say a hole, run into a certain hole behind that cow. The rope a calf, a rope a steer, making him hustle to that spot every time. So I was making every horse. I don't care if he could outrun a man of war or he couldn't outrun a turtle. Trying to get every ounce of run I could. And then when I left there with a trip, get every ounce of run I could out of him to make him stronger. And it worked for me. And then the good horses I had, all of them had good will. Papa told me, always log a horse with two lines. That way, if something happens, he turns, he quarters one way or the other. You got two lines to straighten him up. So everything, you want him perfect every time, every time. Consistency. And that way is when he's consistent, in the practice pen, he'll be consistent at the ring. How long did it take you to get a horse going before you could haul him? Depends on the horse. You take some horses that really, really, really ranch broke, finish broke, finish handling. Some of them, I can, three weeks, I can be ro- going down the road with them. And some of them others... It might take a year. I've got one right now. I ain't got him finished yet, and I've had him six, seven years. <laughs> I haven't been able to get him finished yet. You said your grandpa had a dummy, roping dummy with a calf head on one end and a steer head on the other, and you'd mm-hmm. rope. Would you rope each one of them a hundred times? I guess. Yes. In a row. So, for everybody out there listening, what would you do different on your loop? to rope a good set of slick horns or a good slick neck. Because a lot of guys, they might not know what to do. It's not the same loop, is it? Papo would have rope a flat loop. Papo's calf head is not like most plastic heads you buy, a calf head you stick in a bell of hay, where you can kind of rope it from a sidearm view or a sidearm throw. Papo had a, a... piece of wood going back there this would stick out a foot or a foot and a half on either side kind of like ears and he wanted you to rope that calf coming straight down perfection he was a master way to handle that loop and so you had to have that rope dipped and you had to throw it a certain way would him. you shorten your spoke up for a neck loop or lengthen your spoke out for a horn loop? No. Or would you just keep the same? 
And we called it a bill back then, didn't they? Those old timers. I never heard it spoke until just the last few years. Oh, okay. Those old timers call it bill on your rope. Yeah. The spoke was called a bill? Yeah, the bill, like a bill on your cap. Oh, holy. I've never even heard that, Jimbo. And uh, I bet Neil has. Yeah. But the tip of that loop, you throw a flat loop. You want that loop to hit for horns. You want to hit flat. And Papo have, would have that loop flat, so it roped both horns at the same time. A lot of team ropers nowadays, and, and a lot of the guys tripping steers nowadays, rope right to left. Papo wanted to rope both horns at the same time. That calf loop, he'd tip, bring that loop tip down in front of that horse's head, and then when he comes down, he went down. It's like he'd throw it. Oh, like a yo-yo. You'd roll a yo-yo straight down and bring it right straight back up. It'd go right out here and bring it right back. So he'd have it right there. And he had him. I couldn't do it. I could do it a few times, but a hundred times in a row, I could not do it. I worked at it, but I couldn't do it that way. Now, I could modify it a little bit and bring it. Not pure straight down, say a little three quarters, I could get it done. But Cody, I've got a picture of, of that roping dummy with uh, Toots Mansfield, Jim, Everett Shaw, and Roy Seawalt sitting on it. Yeah, I've seen that picture. That yeah. is a good picture, Jimbo. Holy moly. You're going to have to post that now that you're telling everybody well, about it. Yeah, I might have to. On the Cowboys of the Osage. I heard a story, too, one time that somebody came wanting to bet Shaw that he couldn't rope that those big old white horns 100 times in a row. And uh, he, yeah. paid, he paid him after like 20 times. He could tell that he, he wasn't going to miss. He just went and paid no. him. No, that's, that, was, that was a bad bet. Yeah. The, you know, me tying steers – I've had a lot of guys say, how can you string one that that string steer coming that fast to you? And I was 12 years old, 11 or 12 years old, and was at Terry McGinley's place in Oglala. And uh, somebody said that, and oh, Papa said, I can I do it 35 miles an hour. I won't hang on to the string, but I can string him coming 35 miles an hour at me. Had a steer strapped to a sled. <laughs> he hopped off for that deal. And Papa had two strings. And people got to realize, you know, most cowboys nowadays, they just carry one string over here and they, they grab the right-hand string or they think they got to they grab a left-hand string. It depends on what side Papa would be on. And for right-hand string, he would take his left hand, reach across here, grab his right-hand string, stick his hand through there, and grab that f- foot. And that way he'd be, have a perfect 90 degrees when he draw the slack. So he wouldn't ever go up or never come down. He was in the center of that cannonball. He did it three times in a row and never, never missed a lick. 
stepped off the back of a pickup going 35 miles an hour, steers on the sled, coming at him. Yes. Never yes. missed a lick. Never missed a lick. That was always one of my biggest deals. Cost me a whole bunch of money. Missed stringing them feet coming at, at you. Yeah. Reaching down there to string him, coming up with nothing. <clears throat> but Guy Allen could do it and still win the round somehow. Yeah. But, uh, you know, uh, I don't think, Cody, you and I, uh, both of our legs are not as long as Guy Allen's. <laughs> yeah, you know, he's got a little, our arm's not as near as long as he is either. Nope. But All that put together, though, he was a he was a force to be reckoned with, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Do you still have a lot of the trophy saddles and stuff that your grandpa won? I have the. Uh, I don't. I do not have the last one. He gave me the last one, the '62 saddle, and. Dad was using it on Clabber, a buckskin horse to come off to Scott Ranch in Montana. Broke the tree on him. When they put a new tree in it, it never did, never fit a horse ride. So we sent it with Papa, and he was, he'd come by, and he had the uh, 34 or 36 Madison Square Garden saddle that Dad and Mom had been trying to get for years. And because that saddle did not fit a horse anymore, always sorted everything we had up. So we sent it with him to the Hall of Fame in Colorado Springs. And and then somehow or another it got misplaced. And, but anyway, he got, babe got it back and then little sister had it. And I don't know what happened to it after that. Yeah. You said he won the Madison Square Garden in 30-something? When the Kefir opened, either in 34 or 36, and went all around the other time. And then almost 30 years later, he won the World Championship in 62? Yeah. Is he the oldest world champion? No. No. Ike Rude. Ike Rude. Rude. Boy, him and Ike Rude, they were... uh, They battled. They battled, weren't they? They were like uh, uh, Holyfield and Tyson, or... No, they they were close friends. Well, they may have been friends, but I know that we have some posters. We've seen some from when Ike lived here in Pahuska, and uh, they had four big matches. Oh, yeah. Great big ones. They they built it like it was a heavyweight championship fight when those two went to match. Yeah, I remember as a kid watching Ike Rude the last time he went Cheyenne or the last time he roped to Cheyenne. Now, I can't say he won it, but I I know he roped there. And I know he was riding a horse, probably stood 16, 16 16-1. And there was a guy who had a stepladder, a little three-step stepladder. Ike roped the steer and went out there, let his horse turn his horse around. The guy rode out there with the stepladder so Ike could get back on his horse. (laughs) He was pretty short. He was just 5'6", I think. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He wasn't very big. Did you ever get to watch him rope much besides that run at Cheyenne? Yeah, went to his place and roped one at one time. What was it like roping with Ike Rude in his practice pen? I was young. I was too too young to tell you to remember a lot of it. That's, that's the problem I have 
trying to remember a lot of things. With Beppo, he took me to a lot of places, a lot of different places. But I was still young enough, preteen. I don't remember a lot of it. And it's just like a lot of us, our granddads or our dads taught us years ago, and later on in life, you wished you'd listened more or paid attention. Or asked more. more questions or whatever, you know. And I didn't. I don't, I'm the same way. Well, we took it for granted. You know, it's just part of our life. Same thing with my grandpa, you know. Wish I would have talked more about it. Things. There's a lot of things, Paul Pete. Oh, there's a lot of things. You know, we, Paul Pete and I had some little discussions on what made a, a good tripping horse. And we didn't have heated arguments. We had little discussions on them. Yeah. But I respect his 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 knowledge yes sir i learned a lot from him but i had my own what i was taught that i had my own way too yes sir uh, but we had some little discussions and we all thought we had the right way it worked for him and i can't deny that but my way was working for me at the time so I can't deny that. You kind of kept an old school uh, way about the way you trip steers there for a while, kind of like your dad and granddad, but added a little bit of a modern twist to it. it was tying a lot faster steers than they ever tied. But you kind of went at it, it seemed like, a lot like they used to. Well, that's the way you learned. That's the way I learned. And. Because you would get some major speed coming out of that hole. I would get some major speed coming out of the hole, but I would. The cattle I was drawing was a lot of times not as good as everybody else. Uh, you can so, get on the bad end of them, but hey, you were still tying them down. I would get on the bad end. I, you know, you got a third of good ones, a third in the middle, and a third on that back end. I would draw. I figure if you draw me the middle, write me a check. You draw me up on the back end, I'm going to tie him down. I'm going to try to knock that last hole or two out. And at the time, and that's where I, my biggest problem was that I beat myself. If you wanted to beat me real easy, draw me the pup. That's just the way it goes sometimes. I just, I get frustrated. I just couldn't. I couldn't back off. I couldn't slow down to be fast. Some Sonny Davis told me one time at McAllister, and I told him after my first run, he said, slow down. And I said, son, I got to speed up. Dad tells me to hurry, hustle, hustle. He said, yeah, that's your problem with your dad, you too. He don't slow down to be fast. Sonny Davis never slowed down too much as I remember either. <laughs> oh, no, but the, he was standing right there. He said, slow down to be fast. He said, time is like grinding coffee. Some days it's real fast. Some days it's real slow. I come back on my next steer. Steer I had, I'd draw to Cheyenne. And... 
Sure enough, I strung him, went to cross him, pulls the top leg. I just cross him, tie, tie the bottom leg, pull the top one down, put a wrap around it, put my hoodie on, throw my hands in there. I'm 12-1. This is when Sean Burchett was still alive. Sean comes in there and makes a run and looks really fast. He's 12-2. I win the round by a tenth of a second. Sonny looked at me and said, see, slow down to be fast. Well, that Sean Burchett, he was a speedster, wasn't he? He changed the game, I feel like, between him and maybe Roy Cooper and a few others in the steer roping. It was Sean, Jim Davis on Wendy, battling at the time. It wasn't Cooper was coming in after them two was battling. And Sean being coming across there being so fast. And then guy having to step step his game up a little bit. Sean seemed like he might have been one of the very first ones that I remember um, that strung the top leg on a steer rope and steer con- on the majority of his runs. He did. He was. He said he just sticks up there handy. But in reality, in reality, a lot of guys do not realize that's how come a lot of steers strain or kick on you. Steer, you move that calf. It's like tying, even tying calves. The calf ropers don't realize that too. You pick a calf's legs up too far, or you able to throw them. That's not natural. So he's going to strain. You cross him low. He don't move. You string a top leg. You cross them low. They don't move. It's just harder to do on the top leg. It's just harder to do. And with these littler cattle and stuff that they're roping now, oh, it'd be it would be trouble to string that bottom leg sometimes with that thing up underneath them. No, it's not. I worked on it. Dad's horse, the horse Dad win. 178, they had the split title, the season title, and the average winner was called the world title champion. Well, Dad went it in 78 on a horse he called Buzz. And Buzz is always, when I was tying steers on him, I'd holler woe, and he's always one step to three steps by me. And I'm always missing that leg. So I strapped the steers to, went to strapping the steers to a sled. And I spent hours dragging that sled behind the feed truck. And in the grass. Not to make it easy. To make it difficult. Mud conditions, wet conditions. It didn't matter. Mom would, I saw her bull and mom would stop then or she'd count to three. So I made everything different every time and it got to where it was easy and leg be standing right there I knew how to block to step across and block the legs I knew where the legs was even when water was in my eyes were closed 
and it just made it easy. I just I worked at it to make it easy. That's how come I got to where I could do it all the time. You won the finals in nineteen ninety. What was that like? Was that at Guthrie? That was a Guthrie. The first five head come Saturday morning. I get up, take a shower, fix and go feed my horse. I'm shaving. I look, sit up there, and I looked in the mirror, and I'm black and blue from my chest all the way down to my knees. I've been kicked all night long. I know one steer I tied like a calf the fourth round or third or fourth round. And I come back to Dad, and I said, Dad, I, I said, that's the only thing way I could figure is get to him, get a hold of him. And I got a hold of him. He kind of relaxed, so I just tied him like a calf. He said, if you'd have stepped across to him, you'd got up. That next night, he got up on Kip twice. I come back. Yeah, T was riding Dutch. Steer got up on T. And T had some problems. I wound up beating him a tenth of a second. That's pretty close. That's pretty close. The last year in 95, I had a steer to a guy tied in 35. Had it hit him twice, back end at Lazy E. I roped him at the back end. He jumped right, and I knew I didn't have enough trip, so I went up there and turned him around, figuring he was going to circle back around to the out gate where I'd have a lay at him. No, he went right straight back up to up the wall. I had to outrun him up the wall. So I left down there, and Clem was announcing. Were you against the wall outrunning him? Yes. Or was he on the other side? No, I'm against the wall outrunning. That's a big old cement wall, too, Jim. Mm-hmm. You're riding yeah. in between. And I don't know how I kept from kicking any kind of cameraman or running over a cameraman. I don't know how I did that. All I know is I finally got by him right down there, right where Clem could look right over the announcer stand and watch me tie him. So I went, Clem said, we went to the state of Kansas and back. <laughs> the guy was 35 on him the night before, and I was 30 on him and used a whole pin twice. And that horse was just a gasping for air. I was the last gunner the next round. And I run one to the Justin Healer sign. I was 15 on him. And I was the last man that time. So every time I stopped kicking, the horse would stop. And I come back and roped a, a ten steer on him. I thought, best I could do. And I went second that year. But that's the year Arnold Phelps, snowman. You couldn't beat him. Mm-hmm. Arnold drawed the cattle and he roped good. Horse worked good. He went six rounds. Got to give the man the credit. He outdrawed me, he outwrote me. That year. That was a, I remember that year. He yeah. won all them go rounds. 
Yeah. Barely beat Neil out on that average. That was a that was some roping right there, Jimbo, because Arnold did legitimately spank everybody in those rounds that year. Holy oh, moly. yes. He was on a roll. His horse was working better than any other horse out there. He was drawing pretty good, but even just using them when he drew them, you know. So, uh, that's the thing. There were some good years right there, some good roping. When you draw them, you've got to use them. One of those years, they broke the arena record twice on 10, and they're roping some pretty big black steers. Roy Cooper, Todd Casebolt came and broke the arena record on 10, and then Roy Cooper right behind him on a big, nasty black steer came and beat him on the arena record on 10. It wasn't that year, but Mm-mm. it was in that era mm-hmm. right there, right mm-hmm. real close within a year or two of that. But they were roping some tough cattle then too, Jimbo, some pretty tough cattle compared to, to yeah, now. They, they were still pretty big. They were still using, you know, the plaster Paris instead of the mm-hmm. pretty big cattle. I've watched some of those old videos. But the cattle, even the cattle then, still were smaller than the cattle 15 years earlier. And like it or not, and I don't care particularly care for it, because the cattle right at the moment we're using are too little. Yeah, I think the cattle. If Neil was still roping, he'd jerk their uh, oh. skin probably right off their bodies. <laughs> the yeah. ones they're roping now. That one big gray horse. Uh, that one big gray horse I had. Uh, he might have. <laughs> but. Uh, he was an exception. He was an exception. Did your grandpa ever talk about the old turtle days or when they set that up or anything? The reason they set they struck in Boston is because the cowboys were paying an entry fee. And there was added money. Okay, all the cowboys was getting was whatever they added money. The stock contractor was keeping all the entropy. So the cowboy struck to be able to get the entropies added to the added money so the pot would be bigger. So they formed the cattle Cowboys Turtle Association. The reason of the Turtle Association to go slow to get it right. Mm-hmm. So, the, that way it would be for the cowboy, not sure. for everybody, for the contractor or whatever. The cowboy ruled his own pro, uh, progress, his, his own added money, his own rules uh, of, of competing. The spur ride or the time, the size of the cattle, etc., and and then later on, then that's when they formed RCA, and then and then years after that, they formed the PRCA. That's quite the deal for them guys putting on the rodeo. Well, yeah, they had a good deal going. They had. They just set up how much the purse was they were going to pay out, and yeah. then made the cowboys pay a bunch of entry fee. Yeah, kept all that. Probably added up more than the purse. Actually, actually, yeah, I know it. I knew Everett was right in the middle of all that, you know. Uh, he, was he, ori- was, he was the original signee of the, for the 
petition to strike. He was the original signee on the Cowboys Turtle Association. Because I got a copy of the two right, documents. Yeah, I've seen Mom's it. got a copy mm-hmm. of the two documents. And I imagine you've got a copy of the two documents from your granddad. Yeah, I've seen it. And then when they had formed the RCA, Papa could have had card number one. He said, no, give that to somebody else. He took card number seven. And there's 50 years age difference between the two of us. And I went in, I entered a team roping with him at Ada, Oklahoma one year. And my sister said, let me enter it. And so sis gave him my card number, enter with card number seven. The gals at Procom said, Anything else? No. Card seven. Just seven. Just seven. <laughs> and it was basically right at 50 years age difference and about 50 years difference in, in the deal. Cody, one time I used to love to fish in the <clears throat> Head Creek right north of the house, and I had a trot line stretched up for there. I was making the new trot line. I had it stretched from one tree to the other. About head high, mm-hmm. and I'd tie, tie my hooks off on it. You know, every three or four feet, you'd tie drop, you know. Mm-hmm. And I had it stretched up there across there and just left it until I was going to take it to the creek. Well, Everett Shaw was staying with us, and it was the Ben Johnson weekend, and he was roping the team roping. He was up in year. He quit steer tripping. Mm-hmm. But he was roping that Friday night team roping. And, you know, it didn't get done until 2 or 3 in the morning. Yeah. And he brought his horse home late at night. Put him up, and then we're walking back to the house, went through that gate on the north side of the house and walked right in that trot line. So I'm the only guy that ever caught Everett Shaw on the trot line. <laughs> <laughs> he gave me a hard time about it next morning. He good natured, but it's pretty funny. He was quite a guy, really a nice guy. What about your grandma, Neil? She seemed like quite the woman. She was. And later in life there's a lot of times I, I'd go by. I didn't have nobody to go with, and uh, I'd call her up and I said, "You want to go roping? Sure. I'll be there in four hours." She ever backpack, sitting by the back door, and she'd have me supper made, sitting on the table, and she would, didn't ask me where we was going. She just asked, "One day, two days." So she know how much back. They go. At one time we went to Bandir, to Happy, back to Seguin. No, Happy to uh, Roswell, to Seguin, the home. Jim Davis said, ask her, can he find you a better trip, a little shorter trip? And she said, <laughs> Why? And die at home. I want to go. I want to live. She's ready to go. She's ready to go every time. All I had to do is just load her up. Go by and load her up. Just call her up and say, you ready to go? We'd go. I took her four or five years yeah. in the fall with me. She was a real special lady, too. 
for sure. You got a picture of her, Jimbo. No, no that's 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 that's, that's the mom. other one. Yeah. Yeah. Never mind. That's that's yeah. his mom. Yeah. But I showed it to Neil there a while ago. Well, that's a cool picture. Mm-hmm. It's of Neil's mom, Barry Burke, uh, my dad, Jimbo's dad, and Jimbo's uncle, all yeah. at Madison Square Garden at yeah. the rodeo. Yeah, it was in the New York City newspaper, nineteen forty-six. That's too neat. She she really seemed like a true friend of the Cowboys too. All the Cowboys. Was there a lot? Of, always a lot of Cowboys hanging out over there with your granddad and her. Yes. I always was. You know. Now, they so, lived in town, didn't they? Wasn't there oh, yeah. t- the barn and the horse barn was now as part of the school parking lot. Was right there next to the school. You walk through the horse barn out to, through that one pen, across out the back fence and into the school parking lot. Mom just walked down along by the barn school. That's where mom grew up. Mom's living right now is where she grew up. Right. And Papa, he always had a, took no swing, took most of the, all had less part of the swing, had a welder modified, you know, make a basketball goal out there and had the ground packed down there so all the kids come by and play basketball. I always had that right there for the kids. For the kids to play basketball. I always kept track of the kids around there. Babe would go up there, and, and still to this day, she's got her own parking spot. In the gymnasium, she's got her own seat right there at midcourt. Hmm. Now shot, reserved for now shot. Yeah. When she passed away, the boys and girl. High school basketball team, line, procession. Everett was a big basketball fan too, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Last time I saw him was at a, a area basketball tournament in in Ada. We we were down there scouting, a, or Husker was getting ready to play Millwood, possibly going to play Millwood. Millwood was playing, and he was down there watching mm-hmm. the game. You know, had been like seventy eight or something, mm-hmm. seventy seven, seventy eight. Was he? Uh, did he help with that big rodeo they used to have in Ada? Boy, I've heard that was a big dude in its day. Yeah, I, I don't know what he exactly helped with it. Ken Lance was a heck of a promoter. He would come and rope with Papo. Ken team roped a lot, and so you know, Papo would go up there and rope with him when Papo was tripping steers. And he had that's he had Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, all them guys before they made their, before they got big. He had a lot of the big names. He had Reba, Susie, Pake. Before they all got big. That Ken Lance one time I heard a story at his rodeo there in Ada. I guess he had a big bar and a rodeo grounds all kind of right there together. And uh, they wheeled out a wheelbarrow load of nickels into the middle of the arena. And they had all these girls picked out. However many nickels you can get on your body, you can keep. So I guess this one old girl, she loaded her whole top up with nickels. And when she stood up, it the whole thing just came down <laughs> in front of the whole crowd. <laughs> 
served her right for cheating right there. But I thought there was a rodeo maybe even predating Ken Lance's there. Was he the one that was putting know. on the one that your grandpa won? I don't know. It was there in the 40s and 50s, you know. Uh, and, and Everett was arena director, I know, in 53 or 4, because I read it in a, an old article I've got. And he was talking about the, the rope and steers were Florida crosses, and they averaged 786 pounds. <laughs> Yeah, I remember the stories, some stories, not that I could describe, but he's talking about them Florida steer, more Florida steers, and they was real waspy and real wild. Yeah, they'd get up and be hooking your horse and stuff, yes. trying to beller, that's what Jim said. We got a picture of those first steers from the first Ben Johnson roping right here, and there's, there's those Florida steers. Yeah. And they look like a pen of bucking bulls turned out yeah, out there. They just stand they... back and look at the camera with their ears out here like that. You know, like, you're not going to pin me. They do look pretty wild. That one big old uh, Bramer right in the front, he looks. Right, right, right. Neil, if you were making a Mount Rushmore of steer ropers, who would you put on it? Need four names. Never show Sonny Davis. Show Webster, Clark McIntyre. That's a true Mount Rushmore steer ropers right there. For sure. Hey, where'd you go to college at, Neil? Kansas State University. Was there any other uh, famous rodeo guys on your rodeo team that you went with, or were you the biggest one to come out of there? Well, I I ain't going to say I'm the biggest one. I'm... I'm one of them. Yes, sir. But uh, but there's later on Tanner Brenner come out. He graduated out. Of, I think I believe he graduated out of Kansas State. Now he's you know competing in the Bulldog and the NFR. Jimmy Crothers. I don't know whether he finished or whether he went to K State or not. First Frontier Rodeo. We were talking about Jimmy Carruthers mm-hmm. just the other day with yep. old Justin McKee. Yep. I grew up around Jimmy Carruthers, man. He's a good guy. Yep. He's a good guy. Puts on good rodeos, too. Who was the – when you started rodeoing, who was some of your guys you rodeoed with, went up and down the road with, Neil? When I first started rodeoing, I was roping kids and bulldogging. And – I didn't have anybody. Everybody's either roping calves or bullock. So I was just by myself because I was drawing up at a four performance rodeo. I was drawing up first and last or, or in the middle or all four performances. So I couldn't go with nobody. And then when I got to tripping steers only, I traveled with Rod Hartness in a little while. And then I got to traveling with your dad. And that's where I stayed, traveling with your dad. And either that or by myself. <laughs> what about when you won Pendleton, Neil? What was it like? What do you remember? Because you've told me about it a few times. I left here. I left my horses was sore. I broke a lot of saddle trees on him. 
that particular year. And he's sore, and I knew he couldn't go to Pendleton. Harold Baumgartner and Guy Allen, Harold's wanting me to go out there. Because they had two different rigs out there, and Harold was needing another driver, basically. And I, Harold said, I got a horse leased out there that fits you, really would fit you. I said, Harold, I said, the only way I'll go out there if you'll let me ride your own horse. Because I rode his own horse the year before because mine was, was sick. I was at Walla Walla at the vet clinic, and I rode his at KC. And water was standing in the arena, and I was the only, I come back in a performance, and I was the only guy to rope during the performance to get a check. I got a third and a second round on his horse. and I, So I knew I could place on that horse. And he finally said, all right, yeah, if you don't get along with Walla Walla Allensburg, you can ride my horse, penalty. He said, okay. So I went out there with him. He came by and picked me up from Vanita, went up there, and we stopped at Sean Madden's place at Torrington. I rode the black horse, and that was the horse he had leased off Bud Alderson. And the horse, it would catch a fast, hard-running steer or a slow steer in the same spot. I was having problems figuring, you know, kind of figuring this out. I tied a steer two down on him at Sean's. And it seemed like he'd run. When he left out of the hole, left for the trip, he'd run harder out of there than he did to one. Well, this will work. Didn't get along very good at Walla Walla or Allensburg. So Harold, Guy, Lionel Burns all flew back to McAllister. And I think Phil Lyon was with them. And, and they flew back to McAllister to run their second one. So I was with Pacheco, his, Harold's hired man. We rode, we drove back across there to Bill Spratt's place. And we'd already gone to Casper, left the pit, Lionel's pickup in there to get worked on. Cause it wasn't running very good. We come back out to Bill Spratt's. We roped. So I roped on this black horse, and I went to trying to figure out some things. And I figured out how to get him. Most tripping horses, you want them kind of like a kid pony, kind of laid back, rode down to the rate. Well, this horse had so much rate, I had to pick him up get him on his tiptoes, kind of like a calf horse or, or, or a bulldog horse, so I'd get to run out of there. And and then I logged him up there, and I was building a little more speed out of him. Logs. He knew the length of the rope. You didn't have to worry about walling a boat. He just stepped off and he just went to the steer because he, he knew the length of the rope. Only time he, he might drive by you, 
So our horns was hanging in the dirt and rope was popping them on the rear. So they're pendling, I'd be reached back and just tapping his rear, waking him up. Boy, he'd be a bouncing up here and everybody's thinking I was crazy. I would back in there and he'd jump in the kitchen again. The steer, first steer I had at Pendleton was a steer I had at Walla Walla. No, at Elmsburg. And he tried to get up, tied him down, right, right behind Phil. And that summer I'd gone from Pecos to Phil's place and roped to Phil a little bit. And I knew Phil could run up there and take one swing over his back, over his steer's back, and rope one. But he did took a, one or two or three or four swings over his back. He missed every one of them. I've seen his practice been every day. I mean, I... You wouldn't have thought that. No, I didn't, you know, I, but I knew that. And feeling like when a second, I went a third, or went, Phil went a third, or I went a fourth. I was right behind him in both rounds. And come the short round, I dropped a decent steer, and he faded off the left, and I roped him, stuck it, went left, and was 11-7, and I said, I, I was a relief. I got, I got me some money. I'm going home with some money. And got my trip paid for. And I thought, I'm just plum happy right there. I was plum happy with a second. Earlier in the week, Lionel Burns, everybody's wearing how, you know, ask Kurt Robinson now how, where how they're standing in deals. Kurt looked at me and he asked me, he said, you, you want to know where you're at? And I said, heck no. I'm up here to have some fun. I'm just up here to enjoy myself and rope steers. So after that rope that short round steer, I said, I got money. No worse than second. I'm in great shape. I watched Phil come off there. and Phil runs up there and races the horse up and takes one swing over, over his back. And I said, rope, Phil, rope, Phil. Oh, hell, Phil. <laughs> he ain't even throw his rope, and I knew he was going. And sure enough, that's something Don McLaughlin taught me. One year at Cheyenne, he took me out there, and he said, come on, come out here and sit with me. And he just told me about looking at a person here and what this person's going to do, what that person's going to do, being able to have to read it. And then that's where that helped me later on how to read things. It's like me traveling with your dad. Even though we roped, we swung a rope different. We threw a different length or spoke or different size loops. He knew how I roped. I knew how he roped. It was each of us to help correct, keep us in line so we could keep drawing checks so we keep going and I knew right you know then they came up there and said this and I was still a little shocked I won penalty what do they do after you win it oh they take you over there in front of the main grandstand and they bring out I want a set of horns and they're a 36-inch tip-to-tip spread. 
And I'd still go out there and try to rope them every once in a while. <laughs> and watch, a blanket, a pair of boots, a hat. And nowadays, they add Pendleton whiskey to it. <coughs> Back then, they didn't add Pendleton whiskey to it. I wouldn't know anything about any of that stuff. Uh, I've had it, but I don't remember it, Jimbo. It's one of them deals. One of them deals. I I don't know either. I've made memories. (laughs) Lots of memories for other people that I just don't remember, especially at Pendleton. Especially at Pendleton. That can happen to you up there. Pendleton's one place you can have way too much fun before dark, lay down, take a nap, wake up half hour after dark. And start again. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was about midnight when I walked out of that letter buck room. Is noon? It was like noon, Jimbo. I'd tell you the rest <coughs> of it, but I don't remember. No, don't tell us. <laughs> Do you remember anything about your great uncle Dick? Dick Some. Truitt, the great Dick Truitt. Some. Jimbo, he did a trivia question on the other day. Yeah, about him bulldog that buffalo. Sun City, Kansas. Yeah. <laughs> Got the picture of it. He, he first did it off running board. You remember the old, the old pickups had a running board mm-hmm. on the side. And uh, first did it off pickup. He said, heck, I can do it horseback. So he come back and did it horseback. And there's another little old trivia deal that, you know, years ago, the cowboys, or one cowboy or two cowboys would take the horses from one rodeo to the next. They'd head and tail them, and two guys would just take the bed rolls and everything, go cross country to the next rodeo, and everybody else ride the train. That way they didn't have to pay as much fare for the horses. Uncle Dick come up on to one of the old B Westerns shooting a movie. And this director had a, had a scene there where the outlaw or whatever jumped his horse off this cliff down in the water. And uh, Uncle Dick looked, he said, what's going on? He's shooting this movie. And he said, we need somebody. There's some people who wouldn't do it. And Dick looked there, what are you doing? He said, well, we need somebody to drive this horse off this cliff. Looked off down there and down there in water. He said, What's the pay? <laughs> he said, $100. That was a lot of money back there in the 20s, 30s. He did that buffalo for 10. He said, I'll do it. So here comes Uncle Dick. He just rides off there. When the horse jumps off there, he just leaves it. First time. In the water. Comes out there, he goes along there, comes back up there to the director, and he said, Huh, that good enough? You want to do it again? Oh, I kind of like to do it again. Oh, okay, I'll do it again. This time he stays on the horse all the way to the water. <laughs> Got $200 off down. Dick thought he's rich there. Yeah. There's a book coming out about Ike Rude, and uh, Jimbo was lucky enough to to be one of the guys that got to read it first before it even comes out. And uh, there's a picture in there. Tell us about that picture, Jimbo. It was at the Chicago 
during the World's Fair, I think 33 or 34, and their attendance was kind of down. They wanted to do something to kind of boost attendance, so they had a, a horse swim. And they took these cowboys and their horses out in the middle of Lake Michigan, not in the middle, but out there a ways, and jumped them off there and going to swim them back to the bank. And Dick, and in this picture, it's a picture of Dick Truitt and Ike Rude jumping their horses off, the, off this barge. And they said Ike Rude won it. But there were several other cowboys in the back waiting to jump off. But you could tell it was Dick Truitt. There wasn't, you know, he's unmistakable, you know, his, and, Dick, and Ike too, you know, there wasn't no doubt who they were. And, uh, but that's quite a picture. They said Ike won it because he'd swum his horses enough on his ranches down in Texas, and he'd just slide off the saddle and hold on the tail, mm-hmm. and he'd splash water in their eye to make them go whichever direction he wanted them to go, hmm. and uh, he won it. But Dick could try anything. He, oh, one time at Ada, my dad told me this story, he was riding my grandpa's horse over rock, and there's two loops, and he missed him the first loop, and the bridle broke. And, you know, most guys would grab hold, you know. Yeah. And he went on around the ring, roped him again, and tied that steer with a broke bridle. You know, didn't bother him. Mm-mm. Dick had a, a black stud. I assume I remember it as a stud, but I, I'm, I'm thinking it's a black stud. Rope kids on a bulldog. Heck of a bulldogging horse. And down there at the old roping pens, which they call the slaughter pens, which years and years ago, Dick and his brother would butcher beef out there for the local meat market in Stonewall. And, but Dick would bulldog, and a lot of times he'd be bulldogging, didn't have any horn cattle, so he'd bulldog his prime. Primer kids. Papa would haze for him. Dick would just crawl off and he wouldn't knock a deck. He wouldn't knock them 300 pound primer kids down. He'd just grab a hold of them by their ears, bring them around and throw them. That's the only practice he had. That's, yeah. that's what he practiced them. Holy moly. I believe those guys were turned a little different than these guys today. I think, think so. You know, uh, they still got a pro rodeo and close to his hometown. I think. Do, do you help out with it, Neil? The old Fredonia rodeo still. I still help out with it. I still help out with it. Your family ain't even done with rodeo yet. Your wife, she's jumped up, taking the torch for the family. Keep yeah. keep y'all in the rodeo business, hadn't she? Well, she's started off. She's trying to do that. Friend of ours has got her started. Needed some help. Now, she wants to try to get time enough rodeo so she can time the steer open finals one more, one time. That shouldn't be a problem. Uh, seems to be. But Well, if it was J.P. Wickett in the way, he's not going to be the director anymore. He's moving on, so which I don't think it was, but it might have been. Who knows? Who knows know. about all that? But yeah, is she the only PRCA card holder in the family now? No, I got my gold card. Oh, okay, okay. I got my gold card. No. Do you keep your insurance and everything paid every year? Nope. Oh, so she's the only active member. She's the only active member. <laughs> but <laughs> but it do all I have to do is send my insurance money for my insurance, and I'm active. Yes, sir. Which I want to do. I. 
I want to go back. I want to go. There's a few of them rodeos up there that like Belfouche and some of the Montana trippings in Dakotas. Some of them old pins up there, up through there that years ago that didn't have when I was going. I'd like to go rope out one time. That Belfouche is really cool. It's still like, I'm going to assume it's still like the stands and the rodeo grounds is right when they first started having rodeos there because it's just, uh, it's you can just like, feel the history there when you're at a place like that, Jimbo. It is, it's kind of like going to Deadwood, you know. Even though the rope and shoots at the time the VNN is all metal and everything else, but the, the old wooden bucking shoots and everything else still give you the old nostalgia of the old old school. I've got a picture in 1935. My grandpa went in second at the cab rope up there with four guys, the four average winners, and it said 1935, Belfort. Well, that's really something up there. Yeah. Deadwood, I'm, <laughs> I went there a few times. I had to write a hot check to the rodeo secretary because I lost all my money at the casino <laughs> oh, yeah. to, get, to get enough gas to get to uh, Burwell to the rodeo the next day, Jimbo. Well, you got to do what you got to do. And she was like, I don't know why all these cowboys are writing checks for cash here at Deadwood. I'm yeah. thinking, well, because yeah. they cleaned our clock over right. at the casino. That's right. why. <laughs> well, i tell you what, Neil. That was uh, – when you gave your Mount Rushmore of ropers, I think that was – Probably one of the most legitimate Mount Rushmores of steer ropers I've ever heard. Sure was. They're all true Mount Rushmore guys. And uh, all all of them was guys that helped me somewhere. And you had some major help. Holy moly, Shope helped them out when all when they were younger. And then Shaw, his dad, his uncle Dick. Stayed with Phil Lyon. <laughs> Holy moly. It's it, the best of the best you've been rubbing elbows with your whole life. You're part of the family. I just, the little things I, I learned to pick up from people. I just listen. There's, you learn a lot just keeping your mouth shut and listening. And learning things like little things, like stepping down, having one bit in my tripping horse's mouth, and Clark said, step down, put a little bit lighter bit, and let him run into it a little bit. Roping with Clark Pake over at their place when I was a kid. Roping down at Schultz. It's... Some I don't, you know, treasure. A lot of wisdom, a lot of knowledge that, you know, there's a lot of knowledge I'd like to pass on. But a lot of guys don't seem to think I know it. Out of all your travels, rodeoing up and down the road, where was your favorite place to stop and eat, Neil? I went out and eat with them a lot of times. County line. The county line. Barbecue restaurant, Oklahoma City. I think it's shut down now, Neil. How could a place like that shut down? All I know is I had to drive more times than not out of it, (laughs) away from there. (laughs) The rest of the crew was with me. All had to sleep. 
They had too many beers and ribs, I guess. Well, they was too full, and they all like big bears. Hey, one time. Like sleep. <laughs> one time we were all going to go out and eat, like in Pecos or something, one night. And about an hour before we went and eat, Neil went to go get him a snack. Foot-long Subway sandwich with so much stuff on it, he couldn't even fold it over. That's how much stuff he had on it. Damn. That was a little old snack for Neil. I was hungry. Yeah, growing boy. Well, I ate all day. Right. They've been. He had a beer. I didn't have a beer. <laughs> so I, was, I was short on carbs. Uh, what you got going with Col? What's Colby doing nowadays? Your son buying cattle for me, taking care of my cattle. They working for a couple of other ranches, taking care of his and his wife's cattle. Y'all got him roping or anything yet, Neil? We're. I've got him roping. But uh, he's sure having a heck of a time getting being consistent roping horns. Well, it looks real easy sometimes. <laughs> it's a very humbling sport sometimes. Well, he, he's had has some problems. I got one steer I bought. And the first time I run him, had him running. I said, I'll bet you a soda right now you're going to miss him. His banana horns. Ooh, yeah. I was down there and he <laughs> drooped down there. And I said, you'll miss him. Because you'll change your plane of your loop. And it's that same loop, but you'll change it. You'll run up there and you'll change it. Sure enough, he changed it. I said, all right, now, same bet. I jumped out there and roped him, slicker and whistle. But come 90, I had one like that, and that was my nemesis. I had five steers, and I had one like that. I could not rope him. Every time I go up there and swung, took one swing over his back, I did not rope him. So I had to quit roping him so I wouldn't keep fighting my head. <laughs> Woo wee Yeah, I had a steer like that. I kept drawing him all year long, everywhere I went. And pretty soon, I didn't even get to where I'd even catch the booger, Jimbo. He just followed you around. You knew you was going to draw him when this you This big blue roan booger, number yep. 16. I hated him. And I was yeah. the one hauling him around. Yeah, that's bad. <laughs> I could have took him house. right off the herd. Why did you leave him at the house? I get what I deserve for bringing yep. him, I guess, Jimbo. Well, Jimbo, you got anything else for Neil? I'll just thank him for coming and sharing some of those great stories. You know, like I say, Everett Shaw, that just, you don't get much better than Everett Shaw when you talk about rodeo. I think a lot of people's going to appreciate it because Neil, he was a known guy in rodeo. Right. Everybody looked up to watch old Neil. What about your chewing tobacco? You still chewing tobacco, Neil? Uh, yes, sir. Okay. I, Are you still that, buying it from the same place? Get it the same I, way? I still. I still one nasty habit I haven't given up. All right, let's tell everyone where you get it and how much you get at a time. Uh, I get chew a Tennessee chew, Fred Stokers and Sons Tennessee chew, and it comes in one pound packages. I thought it came in a twenty five pound box. No, I get it in the one pound packages anymore. Oh, okay. You cut back a little bit. I cut back a little bit. The twenty five pound bags used to be real good, but nowadays it's 
I can't get it that way. They can't ship it that way mm-hmm. or to the mail. He used to have his own Ziploc bag, Jimbo. The mm-hmm. same one, I think, for years. It was green. It done turned green, the whole bag, but uh, he kept that box of chew. He come by natural because I remember his dad always had <laughs> a chalk. Yeah. And what are you doing now, Neil? A little trucking, I hear? Driving a truck, hauling, pulling a pneumatic trailer, hauling powdered cement to the companies that will mix it. And that's uh, what I got, what I'm doing right now. All right. You ain't got enough of that road yet. You're still beating the highway down, just like you're rodeoing. I'm still beating the highway down. Still beating the highway down. But comes the weekends, it takes a little longer to recover. <laughs> well, I'm ready to get that for him to get that horse going and enter them rodeos up north. I'm ready to watch Neil World run a couple again. Yep. It would be fun to watch. It'd be fun to see. It'd be fun to do. <laughs> the old whirly bird at it again. All right. Neil, we appreciate you coming in today and uh, sharing your story and your grandpa's and your dad's and everybody's. It was just a great day. Thank you for having me. You got anything else you want to tell anyone before we go? God bless everybody. <laughs> Thanks, well, all right. Everybody, this has been another great one. Be sure and like and share. Leave us a comment. It means a lot to me and Jimbo and everybody else. And uh, we'll see you all next week. Later. Old stories like long lost friends. Rodeos and late night bends. History before our time. Round pens and pasture rides. Cowboys of the Osage. <laughs>